Hey there, perfect peeps. In this episode, we talk with Stefan Kingham. While working for Honeypot, Stefan actually helped create the View documentary. If you haven't seen it yet, you should definitely check it out. We wanted to talk more with Stefan why he was so passionate about making documentaries for technology. We get into Stefan's background and we find out about the new Svelte documentary coming up. Check it out. This episode is sponsored by Builder.io, visually build on your tech stack. Welcome back, peeps, to Perfect.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Now with your amazing hosts, Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. Hello, Stefan. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Stefan is the head of community at OfferZen. It's a South African job platform for devs, and he's also the creator of M4H, a community-driven marketing agency. And the reason we have him on today is he also happens to work on tech documentaries such as Vue.js and GraphQL, and we might talk about another one as we <laughs> get going here. So welcome, Stefan. That's kind of the a brief intro, but do you want to add just kind of a little bit of your background and kind of what you, how you got into tech documentaries? Yeah, sure. I mean, so like once again, hey everyone, um, I'll start out by saying because I think I mentioned this to to both of you before we started, and to everyone who's listening, I'm always a bit uh, afraid. I think of talking about marketing to devs because I know it's pretty much like a no go zone, um, but. Um, I like to think that the kind of marketing I do for devs is is community driven. But anyway, yeah. So like the my my basic background, um, I've been thinking about this pretty much all day. How I can give this answer without going super deep into marketing bullshit. So I'll try and give it kind of like I'll try and shorten it up a bit. So uh, in in essence, I kind of sorry. Um, in essence, I kind of came into uh, marketing. I did you know business school, all that blah blah, and um, ended up doing marketing. I think because as a kid, I used to really like ads on TV, commercials. Like I used to find some commercials pretty fun. And I was like, you know what? I wouldn't mind doing that one day. But then I actually got into marketing and I discovered all of the you know, paid marketing, affiliate marketing, email marketing, blah, 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 blah stuff. And realized that I kind of despised it. <laughs> so um, I did that for, I don't know, I did that for a while. I did that for maybe like six, seven years working in agencies and in startups in Asia and in Europe. And then I kind of came back to Europe. So I live in Berlin and I kind of realized that, you know what, it, it was kind of like that time in my life and in my career to kind of do a job that I could, so that I could actually like sleep at night. I was like, you know, I would like to do something that I feel good about. Um, I know that sounds super cheesy, but honestly, that's how I felt. And I was lucky enough to find um, a company. So the company in question is uh, Honeypot, um, which is also a developer-focused job platform, which is based in Germany. I was lucky enough to find a company that, felt the same way about marketing as I did. So my boss, the team, everyone pretty much despised marketing. And we were like this creative group of people who wanted to do like cool things for people. We don't want to do spammy stuff. It was just, it just kind of felt good. It was like, yeah, we kind of, we're on the same page. Um, And then obviously you need to be lucky enough to be in a company that's willing to invest in not shitty stuff. So um, I think that, yeah, pretty much that's like the, the short version is that, you know, I kind of went through that whole like cycle of I don't like what I do, found a cool job, found a cool team. And then um, then the big thing, and this is the interesting thing, I think maybe for developers potentially, um, is that, all right, Honeypot is a developer-focused job platform. And mm-hmm. the company that I work for now, OfficeZen, is also a developer-focused job platform. 
And within that, within that job, you have two things that many developers, I don't want to generalize, but that many developers tend to hate. You have one, marketing, no go. Two, HR. There are many HR people, HR managers sending crappy in-mails on LinkedIn. There are all of these like, hey, front-end rock star, hey, back-end guru, all of that bullshit. Um, sorry for my usage of the word bullshit. I tend to say it a lot. <laughs> um, you have all of that stuff going on. So I ended up in a job where I didn't want to do traditional marketing. And even if I somehow wanted to, it would not work. It just would not work. If, if that, you know, That makes total sense to us, too. Like Developers just get turned off maybe by marketing. So it makes perfect sense that you just wanted to sleep better and feel better about your job. And is did you get specifically into tech-focused documentaries because of Honeypot and Offers in being about developers? Yeah. Originally, yes. I mean, so like the funny thing, there's a bit of a difference between my time at Honeypot and my time at Offers in. So Honeypot, I kind of just like landed in it. I happened to join a developer-focused job platform. I happened to be in an environment where normal marketing would not work. It would not cut it. And we had to think out of the box. And that's where the whole like documentary idea came out. I think that the first person to come up with the idea was like my boss at the time. Uh, her name is Emma, Emma Tracy. And she was, she, she, she was quite close to the GraphQL community uh, in Berlin. And Honeypot was co-organizing GraphQL Conf, uh, which is like the biggest GraphQL conference in Europe and perhaps even in the world, at least it was at the time. And so we already had like this kind of connection to the community. And then I'm not sure how, I'm not sure who, know, who knew Josie Valim. I think, again, it was maybe Emma, but someone knew the creator of Elixir. And so we had an opportunity to, you know what, let's, let's, why don't we just do a documentary about Elixir? Um, I think we were first and foremost storytellers, uh, creative people, and we didn't want to do marketing. And we, we decided we can turn marketing to a product of its own. So that's how I kind of landed in it. But then Officer, as I was saying, is a bit different because... I decided that I wanted to join Office in because I wasn't done with dev marketing. I was like, I love it. You know, I really kind of like caught the bug, uh, if that's if that's the right way of putting it, at Honeypot. And then I was like, you know what? When I left Honeypot, I worked other communities for a year, a year and a half. And at some point it was like, no, I want to go back to dev documentaries and dev community stuff. That's awesome. Have you ever done anything other than tech documentaries? How did you get into the documentary space with having the marketing background? Well, that's the thing. Like, I'm not just, if anyone's wondering, I'm not a videographer. I'm not the person who actually films the documentary. I am, so at Honeypot, I was head of community. At Offizen, I'm head of community. So I was managing the team. And within the team, there were videographers, there were event managers, there were writers. Uh, we had a whole media platform. Um, but it just so happened that documentaries were by far the most successful, like, product, let's say. You know, we... We would do an event and maybe we'd struggle to get a thousand, like 500, 700, 800 people, but we do a documentary and we could get a million views. And we kind of realized that, you know, uh, if you think about the investment we were putting into it in terms of resources, in terms of time, in terms of money, it just made sense to kind of focus more on documentaries. And I kind of like just landed in it. Um, it just it, it just happened. And I think I've been way more involved with the documentaries since I've been at Office End because I'm a one person team. So I have to be more involved. That's awesome. That sounds like the best of both worlds, how it helps you and promotes the marketing side, but also is really good for the dev community that you're supporting and showing, showcasing. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I hope so, right? Like, that's the thing about dev documentaries. They, the, the fun thing is that I've got many dev friends who don't like uh, these documentaries, right? I've got friends who, for example, when we put out the GraphQL documentary, a lot of people said it's Facebook propaganda um, <laughs> or... 
or when we put out the Vue.js documentary, there are people like framework bashing saying React is way better. This is crap. You know, like not everyone is going to love uh, these documentaries, but I think that overall, based on the number of views we got, based on the number of like the engagement we saw on social media, but also based on the fact that, hey, I can reach out to Svelte and we'll talk about that. I can reach out to Svelte. I can reach out to Rich Harris. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. I love these documentaries. That tells me that there are people out there who like these documentaries and they're worth doing. Especially when you're getting like a million views. I, th I think that calls out to it too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that was by far the most successful one, the Vue.js one. Um, and I think in many ways, because Vue.js was quite simply the biggest framework we were lucky enough to collab with and do a documentary about. Um, but yeah, yeah. So anyway, like long story short, I love it. Really and you're cool. going to get haters no matter what you do, especially in the dev community. There's always going to be somebody there to start a dumpster fire conversation. So. Today's podcast is brought to you by Builder.io, visually building the web. Builder.io has one of the most powerful visual editors in the industry. Unlike other tools, Builder actually produces the code for you. You don't have to completely switch out your framework either. Just use one of the handy SDKs that are available. There's no limits to what you can build. Instead of limiting your marketing team, start to optimize and let them do the work. This will allow your web developers to get back to the hard work that it takes for other components, allowing your team to do A-B testing and personalization. Stop worrying about bugs in production. Just use the site as it is, then you can analyze and start converting all of your customers with Builder's built-in heat maps. Stop limiting your growth with developers' long lead times. Start building, optimizing, analyzing, and start growing faster. Don't take my word for it. You can sign up for free today and start building the web visually with Builder.io. Like I said, I, I worked briefly uh, with gig workers. So by gig workers, I mean DoorDash rider, drivers, riders, uh, Uber drivers. Uh, and I was trying to kind of implement a similar strategy I was trying to advocate for gig workers to create stories about what gig workers go through, to create stories about what it's actually like to work for DoorDash and this and that. And that got like a lot of, like what I'm trying to say is that, yes, developers might hate on some stuff, but overall, there's at least, if I'm doing a documentary about Svelte, there is a massive community of people who are going to love it. Yes, there are some people who are, aren't going to like it as much, but there's a big community that's going to love it. In the other communities I've worked in, people are like, why a documentary? And sorry for my language again, but who gives a shit, right? So, um, so that's something I like about the, the, the dev community is that there is a, a big fandom element and that kind of helps. Yeah. Do you find like some of the bigger frameworks feel like they're too good for like the documentaries that the attitude like you're getting where you just, they don't want one. They don't need yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Obviously, I can't name names and I don't want to like, no, I stir, yeah, I don't want to stir the pot. But yes, yes, there, there, there. I have I have had the opportunity to speak to maintainers uh, working on specific languages or frameworks who who seem to think they are above it, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um it doesn't really matter because the, the, the weird thing is that it's not like the big ones don't care and the small ones really care. There are some big ones who really do care. And then there are some big ones who really don't care. So it's not just because like these ones are big, therefore they don't care. These ones are small, therefore they care. Hmm. It just depends on the personalities working on the core teams many times. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. 
So how do people tend to react when you ask them to do an interview? Like that kind of goes a little bit along with that, but is it just the ego of the person or? Um, Generally speaking, I have to admit, like it's pretty much always positive. Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually lucky enough that I've probably asked overall like 30, 40 people, 40, 50 people for interviews and one person has said no. So oh, wow. that, in, that in itself shows me that, like, generally speaking, people are down for it. Now, the, the weirdness usually comes in when we're shooting. Like before, <laughs> beforehand, they'll be like, yeah, down, cool, sounds great. Sometimes when you actually land there, you're like in their room, you're in their apartment and whatever. And then you can tell that all of a sudden they're like, what am I doing? Uh, this freaks me out. Um, and then, like, actually, like, there are some touching things that some people say. For example, Rich... I really liked filming uh, Rich Harris because he was very, um, he's like extremely humble and modest about the whole thing. Almost basically saying things along the lines of, I don't understand wh- like why I, why we are interesting enough for a documentary, which is the kind of approach that I find nice. You know, if people are like that, it's like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you why you are worth it, but at least you're not being cocky. Um, and and yeah. that's always, it's always nice to work with people who aren't overly cocky. And then sometimes some people will say stuff like, oh, my wife or my family, they don't fully understand what I do. This documentary will help them understand that. And these are things that are kind of nice. You know, that's awesome. Um, I might need a whole video just created for that then. <laughs> what? What? About to share with people. There's still confusion on what I do all day long. Yeah. It's like, I can mean, you fix my printer? Yes. No. <laughs> I know that must be like, that must be, I mean, it's such a running meme, right? It's such a running joke. And I think it's, it's particularly relevant when it comes to backend frameworks and backend languages, because at least people who are working on the front end, you can show something. But for example, um, okay, I'm going to kind of name drop here, but I think at this point it's fine. Um, I'm also working on a documentary right now about Laravel. And Laravel being a PHP framework, a lot of the people working on the Laravel team if their spouse or, you know, their kids or their family don't understand tech that well, they really don't understand what they're doing. It's like, you can't even show me something, you know, you can't even like, at, at least, at least someone working on Svelte could potentially be like, okay, look, I'm doing interactive journalism. This is a piece and this is how Svelte works. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Laravel, it's like. Backend. Backend stuff. stuff yeah. way. Exactly. So at least by speaking in the documentary, people can get a bit of a better understanding. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So what is the best thing you think about making the tech documentaries? Um, so like the best and the worst thing is pretty much the same thing, but it's different kind of parts of it. So the best and the worst thing is the tour. And by the tour, I mean, you know, like the production schedule. Um, oh, yeah. You know, for instance, um, from beginning of October to end of November, I was nonstop traveling, filming the Svelte and Laravel documentaries. Mm-hmm. Again, wow. I wasn't the one filming, but um, I was there and asking, you know, asking the questions and dealing with the logistics and making sure that the person is there on time, making sure the videographer knows what we kind of want to be doing and that we're getting all the right shots. And that that tour, that like 45 day tour involved 16 or 17 different countries and oh my gosh. it was literally like at times not all the time but at times it was literally we film in this country this day we we uh, finish at 7 p.m we take a train and we arrive in the other country at like 1 a.m we go to bed we film the next morning at 8 a.m and we keep doing that for like two weeks straight oh so my like goodness that's, that's probably that's the most intense. tiring part 
Yeah. Yeah. That is very intense. I, I think, yeah. I mean, I think that, and, and then obviously no, for, I've been kind of fortunate that it's not really ever happened or maybe a tiny bit, but not too bad. But one of the worst parts can be, you know, you, you're interviewing someone and, um, it's really hard to say because obviously you don't want to kind of like call out anyone or anything. Everyone's trying their best, but sometimes like me, you know, like I'm pretty stressed even just talking right now. Sometimes you can be interviewing someone who just gets a bit overwhelmed in the moment. And either you feel like they're just kind of like reading out lines that they've pre-prepared in their head. And you're like, this is not what we want for a documentary. And I need to be nice about it, but I need to kind of like encourage them to, all right, let's, let's try a different way. Or sometimes people just get like very, um, you know, scared and awkward in the moment. So it's something that you have to deal with sometimes. It's, I did that. I was that person. <laughs> no, no, you were, you, you were great. You were great. Honestly, Brittany. We've, so. we've had people on that completely like just talking like crazy before and I click their record button and they go like, Phew. I'm like, what just happened? Like, what was the click there? We could have been it's recording just like that stage right. <laughs> it's it's so know. interesting. And like, I get it too. I, I don't want to like make fun because it's, it's a hard thing to get through as a introvert myself to do this podcast was always a goal of mine. Cause I was so nervous to get on camera and everything. And it takes a long time just to be comfortable with who you are and do the thing, I guess. So definitely understand. It's really made me a lot better at just talking to people in general. I think if I had went to Svelte Summit without doing this podcast, I would have been a completely different person, like hiding away in a corner, not like getting out there networking, talking to people, because this made it feel more natural where I'm having conversations with people I would never meet every week. So it's it's been fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think you're great as well. Like, like I said, to film it's felt summit like it was really easy to film you to work with you and i think that you had like pretty hard like difficult conditions because there was a lot of noise in the background it's not like we were doing like a, a shoot like in a private room it was literally at felt summit everyone talking behind you and i think you did a great job i think i think also that one thing that happens to some people is that if if i ask them like very technical questions um, if I like, you know, a random kind of example, uh, question that I might ask people, for example, in this felt documentary, maybe I'll say to someone, um, what is the, I won't say, I won't, I'll say like, what makes felt, um, a more productive tool than say react or view or, you know, something along those lines, the, the answer will be somewhat technical. Then I see that people are, are very like fluent in that moment. It's like, oh, there's this, there's that. And they, they get deep, deep into tech stuff and, 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 and they can talk a lot. But then as soon as I say a question, as soon as I ask a question like along the lines of um, what do you think about the Svelte community, something which is a bit more like about people and about social situations, then maybe it's a, it's a bit harder for them to elaborate. So I, I see that sometimes. It's more personal, too, though. I, I feel like those questions are almost easier for me to answer because I feel like it's just honest. I mean, the technical. There's no wrong clear. answer, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there probably is wrong answers. You can be very rude, but <laughs> no, since we're talking that. about this felt documentary so much right now, uh, do we have a date that it's coming out? Um, so we don't have a specific date. Um, again, be, because um, so I'm 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 a one person team, but I'm also not doing everything right. So like I'm 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 in charge of like the pre production, production, and post production of the documentary. And I work with independent cinematographers on that. 
Um, but then we also have big other things that we do around these documentaries like premieres, right? We do a big premiere. We wanted to do an in real life premiere. COVID makes that pretty difficult, but instead we're doing a big online premiere and it takes a lot of organization. Um, so we're taking it. I've got a few other people who work in separate teams with me at Offizen, and together we kind of work on this entire documentary plan. And we can only do one documentary at a time. So mm-hmm. right now, right now, we're um, we're getting ready to release the Laravel documentary, as I mentioned, and that's going to go out mid Feb. And the Svelte documentary is going to be the next one. And I want to I want us to do four documentaries per year. So. Basically, that means that the Svelte one will most certainly be in May. Okay. Um, like one a quarter, basically. Exactly. That's the, that's the, I guess that's the business way of putting it. Yeah, one per quarter. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly it. And, um, yeah, I mean, when I was working at Honeypot back in the day, we'd do one documentary per year maybe. And now that I'm at Office End, something I'm really excited about is that I'm, I'm being given, we're being given, the investment sufficient, like sufficient investment to pull off four in a year. So it's crazy intense, but I think it's exciting for the dev community, or at least for those who like these documentaries, because instead of having to wait a whole year for the next one, you know, it's going to be like every quarter, there'll be a new big one. So that's cool. That is, that's awesome. But it sounds like it's very intense for you traveling like six to eight weeks, and then you have to do all of the post-production after that. I can't imagine how your schedule looks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, again, I can't complain, right? Like I was saying, this is, I could be doing crappy traditional marketing. I'm not, so I'm happy about that. I love working with developers. I love filming developers. I get really, I get really interested in the stories while I'm working on them. So like uh, the last month or two, I've been obsessed with Svelte. Um, and so it's a cool thing. Um, and yeah, I can't complain. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't change my job. So why did you choose felt of all the other frameworks that are out there, languages that you could do one on what drew you to felt initially? It's a, okay. It's a mix of things. Like the main thing I could say the, the very first time I heard of felt when we released the Vue.js documentary at Honeypot, um, that documentary went like really big, like I said, a million views. And so we got like many, many, many comments. And yes, a lot of the comments are just saying, oh, I love Evan Yu. Oh, I love you. This is great. Blah, blah, blah. But there are many comments where people suggest the next documentary, right? Um, so we got, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen do a React documentary. That's what I've probably seen that like thousands of times at this point. But I remember reading through the comments and seeing a lot of like do a Svelte documentary, do a Svelte documentary, do a Svelte. And I'd never heard of Svelte. This was back, this was like three years ago, maybe and or two years ago two years and a half anyway and so i remember doing my research on svelte and because i'm more of a brand uh, person myself i'd say more brand than marketing what stands out to me is when a community or when a framework puts effort into looking good if that makes sense you know like some frameworks put more effort into that than others uh, i think laravel is a good example of a, of, a, of a framework that puts a lot of effort into like its visual appearance and its brand and i saw that was svelte it just like stood out um then also i'm english so there's the bias of like rich harris being english and i was like i was like i wouldn't mind interviewing him uh so that's how it started but then obviously i work for a company i can't just make a decision on my own um in order to convince the company i had to kind of show the company that there was a solid reason to do a documentary about svelte and i think the the big thing that pushed that kind of encouraged the the leadership to kind of okay let's do svelte was the um the you know the developer survey the stack overflow developer survey results mm-hmm. and the state of javascript results which i think pretty much both said that svelte had the highest satisfaction rates 
and, and the um, most loved framework exactly the most loved framework and so that was a big thing like that's confirmation that's not just yeah. comments that's not just the feeling like that's confirmation that svelte is is really popular and then i shouldn't say this uh, oh, i think it's fine because now it's public knowledge but before he announced it publicly uh rich told me about the Vercel thing and um oh, yeah. and so i knew that like oh, this is a story, you know, <laughs> there's the, 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 like, you also need to think a, a bit like a journalist, I guess. And then you're like, oh, there's actually an evolving story here that we can talk about within the documentary. And it just made complete sense. For sure. Yeah, that was huge news. And that's one of the things that I love so much about Spell is the community truly is passionate about it. It's all community driven. Like it had no funding. It had no backing. It's just the community supports it and loves it that much that it's grown. And I think Laura, Laravel's the same way, right? Well, the, the, I think the good thing is that I love working on, I love doing documentaries or events or anything about independent frameworks. Now, I don't want to, I'm not taking a dig at the likes of React or TypeScript or whatever. I'm just saying that Svelte and Laravel in particular, they're like extremely independent. Um, mm -hmm. And they both have like... <laughs> What is that term that many people use in the open source space, the benevolent dictator for life thing, the BDFL, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, asked, I asked Rich if he was a BDFL, and he was like, I'm not a BDFL, don't call me that. You know, he was like, no, no, no. But, um, but ultimately, even if he doesn't want to see himself like that, ultimately, he is still the face of Svelte in a way, you know? He's, he's the creator. And I love these frameworks that have this, like, creator. You know, it's not it's not a company project. It's like there's this one person who's got this really interesting story of, oh, one day it was Thanksgiving and I started writing a blog article about my, you know, and that's kind of what Rich told me um, when we first had the call. And I was like, this is super cool. Like, it's really cool. Yeah, that I mean, that he has the brain to create something because he had a need at work is just unfathomable to me. I can't. <laughs> Oh, like even more so for me, I have to say, like as someone who's not a dev myself, I can't even imagine. This is also something that like, I uh, don't want to blab, but one of the best things about doing tech documentaries and working with open source people is, again, this is going to be my little violin moment, but um, like the selflessness of it all, like, okay, don't get me wrong. I know that open source also leads to certain gains. Like you can become more popular. You can potentially make money. You can potentially have better job opportunities. I see that, but ultimately it's still a very kind of like at the core, a very selfless thing to do that I have not seen in any other industry. Go and ask a marketing person to work like for free every, every night just to improve marketing tools. It ain't going to happen. And so I just find that really inspiring as well. It is. Yeah, for sure. And you've spoken a little bit to, to this topic, but you found GraphQL because someone at your company knew the person that was running it. Um, how, and you said that in the comments, like you've seen like, oh, go do this documentary. But how do you find the topics and people to interview? So it starts with the choice of the framework or the language. Okay. Um, so I start there, right? And like I said, there are factors. There's popularity of the framework. There's um, usage. There's distribution potential. Now it's going to sound very marketing-y, but you know, <laughs> uh, it would be it would be crazy for me not to talk about Dev Twitter because to devs maybe it's just Twitter, but to a non-dev, it's Dev Twitter. It's uh, it's insane, right? Like I don't know any other group of people or any other community or industry where Twitter is such a big thing where there are such like massive followings. Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of take all of these factors into account. And by distribution potential, I'm talking, if I see that there's a certain framework, okay, I'll just give an example. Am I the only one who's noticing right now that everyone is talking about Remix? 
like on my, my, my Twitter is just remix, 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 remix. That's all um, it is right now. <laughs> it's just, I, I pick up like at some point in time, it's like, okay, something is super popular. Everyone mm -hmm. is talking about this. Then I do a bit more research. I kind of see who's the creator, who are the core maintainers, who are the community members. If they have interesting things to say, and if like optionally, this isn't a must, but it, it's, it's a good thing if it is, if they have fo like big followings, everything's combined for this to be a success because ultimately the idea behind these documentaries is that they should share themselves. Um, mm -hmm. We don't do any paid marketing. We don't, you know, we, we, we don't market these things. Basically we, we put it out there and we hope that the, the cast, the, the people within the documentary will share and these people have followings and their followers will share. And it's like a snowball effect. And at some point it just lands on Hacker News and you're like, yay, wow, great. Or it lands on Reddit and you're like, oh, great. So that's kind of the idea. So anyway, uh, so we kind of choose, I choose a framework based on all of these factors. And then once I've chosen a framework, the, the people who are going to be in the documentary, it's, um, uh, it's a, it's a mixture of what I just said. So like sometimes it's a bit of distribution, there's a bit of a distribution element, but there's not just that, you know, it would be stupid to do it just based on that. There's also like, what is the story that you want to tell and who are the people who can tell this story? Um, you know, and so when it comes to Svelte, it was super important for me. I think it's important for any framework to tell the story of the, the technology. So who, who, who were the people initially who built the core elements? Like, who, who were the core team members who built it out from the get-go? Then you have to start thinking about the community that grows around the framework. So in Svelte, in, in, for Svelte, it's like Svelte Society. So then you mm -hmm. have Swix and you have Kevin and mm -hmm. you have Anthony Jones and you have like, you know, you have, and, then, and, then, and then I kind of explore a bit deeper and I see Svelte Sirens. And then I'm like, okay, Brittany and, 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 and so on. And um, the kind of, as you kind of imagine the story that you want to tell, the technology, the community and then at some point you have to think about okay we need a company adoption um example because you need something that kind of like stamps the authority on the framework like x company uses svelte or x company uses view or whatever mm -hmm. and that's that's an important part of the story as well so then i'll look for i'll look for people working in interesting companies that are using that technology so it's like a mixture of core team members community important community members and uh, people working with this technology and doing interesting things. I have to ask you off camera who who that is and what companies they're working for, because I need all the inside knowledge about where Svelte is. For Svelte, okay, like whether this is on camera or not, like it doesn't really matter. To oh, me. Okay. I can kind of elaborate on this, but uh, to be completely honest, Svelte um, has been a bit more difficult because not because there aren't companies using it, because of course there are. But Svelte, it turns out that in many situations, the big companies that are using Svelte, like, for example, Apple is using Svelte. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I've heard from many people now from Svelte core team members that Apple is using Svelte for Apple Music, or at least something is happening there. And I also heard that, uh, you know, another company is using it. But the problem is the people who are, they don't have developers in the company working on it. They have like, what do you call it? Consultants. Oh, so like an agency almost. Yeah, and then the consultants are not allowed to speak about it. Because, oh, so, wow. you know, contractually, they're not supposed to say. So you have these really interesting examples. You're know, like, I wish we could talk about that, but I'm not allowed to talk about that. The people who can speak about it cannot speak about it. That's so it's kind of like what I ended up doing for Svelte is I ended up thinking, you know what? Um, there are some interesting, I kind of 
went with a bit of an interactive journalism focus, to be completely honest. Um, obviously, there was Rich, you know, the whole New York Times element. There's a, there's, there's someone, there's a woman called Elisa who works with Rich there, uh, who's done some great pieces at New York Times using Svelte. And I kind of went with that and developed a bit on that. Um, and then obviously got Rich to name drop some of the bigger <laughs> companies that are using it, even if we can't dig deep into the stories. He may not have known before Svelte Summit, but Granger, the company that I work for, we're using Svelte and Svelte Kit there. Um, I was hired to build Svelte components. So I, I know Granger is using it. I mean, I know a couple of other, I know Amelia Wattenberger was using it where she was before, but I don't think she is anymore. Yeah, we interviewed Amelia. Um, so she spoke a bit about, uh, what is it called? Pudding. Um, yep. uh, these days she's working at GitHub, but mm -hmm. um yeah, I, I think that we, I think that we managed to 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 still get like, you know, at the end of the day with these documentaries, you have to test things out, and I feel like this felt documentary is going to have less of a focus on company adoption, still some focus on that, but more of a focus on community because every time I'm working with a framework, there's always something that stands out more, and with Svelte, it was like full on community for me personally. I was mm -hmm. like, wow, there's really like something quite unique about the community. And it became more of a focus uh, during the production. Yeah, that's now, how I feel about it too. I think there's a lot of developers that are super passionate about Svelte, but the the job side of it's not there. We were just kind of discussing frameworks and how long they like take to actually mature and become part of enterprises. And uh, let me let me bring this up because I I just actually we're talking about this at work. Um, so this this is kind of the the trend graph in the last year, and if you take this out a few more years, and this is just NPM based, so there's mm -hmm. a lot of other metrics you can check out. But the bottom line down here is Svelte, and the other frameworks like React is the top green line there. Yeah, Angular View. What is that dip for all of them? Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> <laughs> is that Christmas or something? <laughs> oh, maybe. Christmas week, probably. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone took off. Um, but, at least it's somewhat consistent. <laughs> yeah, but I think, yeah, but the, I, sorry, I think it speaks to, to what you were talking about, though, Stefan, as far as like making a documentary and, and making something that people are interested in. I think it's people are interested in Svelte for sure. And as far as the documentary goes, I think people will really enjoy it and you'll get a lot of views and things like that. I don't think it necessarily has a, a big piece on the the framework itself. Like there's a lot of kind of emotion that is built into Svelte. And when you're passionate about something like that, it's going to like speak well when you, when you do a documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also like one thing that kind of, and this is one of the things that I find interesting about interviewing people in general is that you learn a lot while speaking to people. And I think Rich and Swix both kind of emphasize the point that to many people Svelte is their framework of selection like it's the framework that they choose. React might be the framework that their company chooses for them. You yep. know, uh, maybe they have to work with that, but then Svelte is the one that they choose to work with. And yes, maybe there there's like there are way less developers using Svelte than there are developers using Vue or React. But that's why you get like the whole highest satisfaction rate and most loved framework stuff because those who are using it want to use it, and I think that's really powerful as well. Yeah. yeah and They've said, too, that if it was the other way around and it was more used, you would probably have less people wanting to use it. So, I mean, it becomes a little less loved the bigger it is. So that may yeah. be a little bit why React is less loved, because it's very well used. 
Yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think it's probably like that. Like not to go all philosophical, but I guess I guess this is the way of the world in many ways, right? It's like when something is niche and uh, and like community driven, and people choose it, and it's not forced upon them, then they like it, and then you know. So I I, I find it interesting because like me looking at it from um you know. I guess like when I first started speaking to Rich, when I first started speaking to the Svelte community, there's part of me which is like, and so um, what are your hopes like for the future of Svelte? Like, do you hope that it's going to become like really big? Do you hope that more companies are going to use it? And I guess I kind of assumed before like speaking to people that people would be like, oh, yes, 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 I hope this and that. But then it turns out that a lot of people are like, don't really want it to become the next React, you know? And it's it's like an interesting take where it's like, no, no don't get me wrong. We want it to, we want it to kind of like thrive, but... Uh, do we want it to be like this industry standard, this like juggernaut that everyone uses? Like probably not. Yeah, that's awesome. So looking forward, what other technologies or communities would you like to make documentaries about? So, I mean, if anyone has listened uh, to me blab, like up until this point, uh, one thing I would say is that I'm always um, um, down actually for suggestions. Like I actually ask people a lot during shoots when I'm when I'm shooting, I'm like, what documentary would you like to see next? Or um, when I'm speaking to my Twitter uh, Twitter friends or deaf friends, um, so that's one thing I just wanted to put out there. Like, if there are if, if people have strong ideas about what could be great, I'm I'm all ears. But I, I do have like my own kind of personal opinion on what I would like to do. Um, uh, take it like this is just me, my my ambitions. This doesn't mean that I'm speaking to them, nor does it mean that I have an opportunity, nor does it mean that it's going to happen. But I think that personally speaking. For story reasons and whatever, I'm, I'm personally quite like into the idea of doing a documentary about a language versus, rather than a framework. I, I just think it would be an interesting kind of switch. Um, and so I know that some people will probably argue that well, TypeScript isn't a language, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that TypeScript called themselves a language and I would like to do a documentary about TypeScript. Um, it's very different to like all of the other ones that we've worked with, you know, it's, it's obviously like not independent. But I think that, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm just intrigued by, by TypeScript in general. And then otherwise, um, you know, you meet people during, during shoots who are, it just so happens this person is the creator of this framework. So, you know, I'll be completely honest about this. It's a funny thing. When I was at Svelte Summit, I knew that Guillermo, Guillermo, I, 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 I think it's Guillermo, but I think, anyway, um, I know that he's obviously, you know, CEO of Vercel. But up until like a few days before Svelte Summit, I didn't know, uh, I don't know, stupid me. I didn't know he was the creator of like Next.js. Next yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then when I'm speaking to him and he starts talking about Next.js, I'm like, oh yeah, he's the creator. And then obviously naturally, like in my head, it's like, we should maybe do a documentary about Next.js. So like, it depends on the opportunities that come along and the conversations you have with people, you know? I was wondering if that's where that was going to go, if Next.js was going to kind of be because you met, I, I don't know. Is it a British thing like to call him Guillermo? I say Guillermo. <laughs> I, I only call him Guillermo. It could be wrong. I call him like that because I believe I'm going to talking about him like on a podcast. So strange. But I believe he's Argentinian. Is he not? Oh, okay. Um, so is it? And I, I think that I have a friend personally here in Berlin who's Argentinian who's called Guillermo, and he tells Guillermo. me to say shit. So that's so why. But... have been just saying yeah, it incorrectly. It's it's correct. I, I actually asked him when we had him on. I, I was like, am I doing this right? He's like, it's fine either way. <laughs> so <laughs> he's very humble about it. And I, I was going to say, he is one of the most humble, he's like genuine humble. people. <laughs> yeah. 
like he's amazing and so is rich they were both just so welcoming and like down to earth not like you don't get those big egos like you think of with these creators and it's incredible yeah that's actually a really big kind of like um um not that again this isn't about me this is a project which falls under office and and there are way more considerations than my opinion but because i'm like leading the project it's true that um i do put a lot of i don't know it's a very it's a very like uh, passion driven kind of job um because it's very intense you get very emotional and passionate and emotionally attached so if someone speaks to you in a way that you don't find nice you, it is quite easy to be like I don't want to do a documentary about this team you know it's it's just because it's it's such a it's such an emotional kind of thing um but I have to say that when I was speaking to Gisharmo I got like really good vibes from him like I said Gisharmo hasn't told me yes let's do a documentary about next so I don't know if it's going to happen I'm just saying it would be cool and also um while filming the Laravel documentary, we we were lucky enough to interview um, Adam Adam Wathen, uh, the creator of Tailwind CSS, or well, Tailwind, and that's also something that to me sounds feels like a very interesting potential documentary. So you know, we'll see where things go. I was going to say that about TypeScript too. TypeScript has a very large community around it. There's people that are very passionate about TypeScript. Tailwind also has a large community following and very passionate. If you use it, if you don't use it. There's a less passionate side, but yeah, yeah, or maybe yeah. passionate, but in not a great way. Yeah, but I think I've seen the same thing about TypeScript, right? I don't know if you were talking about Tailwind yeah. right now or type, yeah, like TypeScript. Oh. I've, I've seen a lot of like hate towards TypeScript online, yeah. but, uh, um, but you know, uh, like I said, if we were to do a documentary about React, I'm saying like if we were. I know that people would also be like, "Oh, Facebook propaganda serving the serving the juggernauts." Uh, how about the smaller frameworks that need this kind of um, awareness boost and stuff? So, like, can't really win. But uh, no, I, actually, though, overall, like I've mentioned a few different frameworks, but over and languages. But overall, I'm I'm just interested in 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 telling the stories of interesting frameworks, communities, uh, especially if there's an interesting story. So. Quite like we want to do four per year. I don't see myself not doing this dev documentary stuff anytime soon. So at this rate, let's do them all. <laughs> yes, you're gonna run out. No, I think I'm, I'm. I'm. I feel positive that the cool thing about tech, I feel, is that there's so much like constant evolution. Like I didn't know about Remix three months That's, ago. Yeah, Remix, and, and then before that was Astro. So Astro's got a lot of popularity. Remix, you got a few more in your wheelhouse. Yeah, and there's also like Inertia and stuff like that. I mean, like there are there are all these frameworks that I keep hearing about, and so um, and you know, and then you still have those massive ones that we haven't even spoken about, like massive languages like Python or mm -hmm. you know something like that. It's like it's like a no brainer. Like that would make a lot of sense if we can get through to the team and. And even though Ruby isn't as popular these days, if the creator is really intriguing, I want to do it. And I find the creator, I find Matt's the creator of Ruby to be very interesting. So it, there are so many avenues. There are. Well, you know. I guess that's a good time for us to transition to our perfect picks. I, I did want to ask one thing before we oh, switch over. Oh, sorry. Um, I think we had chatted offline a little bit, but do you find yourself wanting to become a developer after doing all this? uh yeah so we were talking about this so like um like i said yeah so like i said in the comments so yeah yeah i, I actually do um as i as i get really um into the projects so like the svelte one i find myself 
listening to people's interviews and being like, I get what you're saying, but I also don't get what you're saying. Like I, I um, within the scope of everything I've heard, I can, I can deduce, I can kind of uh, understand what you're probably referring to. But ultimately, if someone talks to me about, um, about a, techno, a technical difference between framework A and framework B, I, quite, I can't fully grasp it. Um, and so that's where I kind of started this idea that, you know what, I actually want to learn to code. Um, and I think that especially as it's COVID times and lockdown again here in Germany, I feel like it would be a good project. Like it would be a good personal project to kind of like get on, which is like learning to code. And hopefully within the space of six months, eight months, nine months, a year, not to become great, but to, to dabble in Svelte. That's kind of like my goal. That's so awesome. awesome. I'm, I'm glad you remembered that, Alex. <laughs> yeah, make sure you ping Brittany. She's all about Svelte. Yeah, I, I know. As soon as as soon as I get past the 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 basic blocks of HTML and CSS and JavaScript, then I'm I'm coming at you. Yeah, definitely learn those fundamentals first. That is one of the things that I say. But Spell is also one of the easiest to transition to because you can use those vanilla skills that you have. So I agree. Get those fundamentals. Yeah, that's why Spell completely stood out to me. It's like everyone's talking about the simplicity of it all. I did that little tutorial thing, you know, like on the on the Svelte uh, website, yeah. you know, the interactive kind of thing. And I was like, okay, I can't really do much, but I can see that I could grasp it with effort. So yeah, I, I think once you, like you said, you've done a little HTML and CSS for a few years. So once you yeah. kind of get the grasp of what it's doing, and I, I love the Svelte uh, tutorial because it kind of like shows you how to do it and like you have different ways you read about it and then you can put show me or you can just actually type in the REPL and I like that it like gives you that interactivity and helps you learn yeah yeah it's really cool and uh, did you hear about the, this is sorry this is a very random thing but did you <laughs> did you see that girls who code uh, Doja Cat collaboration thing no I didn't it's very random it's just like i don't know i don't know what the deal is it's pretty random but it was like yeah girls who code did a little like collab project with doja cat uh okay and you know my girlfriend and i we happen to listen to a lot of doja cat so i was like okay interesting and basically you're live coding like the video right you're not really coding that much they just basically they stop they stop at one part of the video and they say oh you can paint her nails or you can like decide oh. what color the background is and you just have to change like a number or a color oh. but i did see a, something on twitter where they were painting the nails and i didn't realize it was doja cat but that's awesome we'll have to drop the link in the show notes because that's yeah. really cool yeah it was fun i mean it's very basic but it's also one of those things that makes me think like i wish i could actually do this kind of stuff like properly <laughs> yeah awesome uh Brittany, since you queued it up once you're <laughs> doing it again <laughs> okay let's transition over to our perfect picks and Stefan, your picks are up first oh should i talk about them absolutely <laughs> that's part of the fun all right this one's easy because i loved it too yeah you did? You picked it a couple weeks ago oh really all right cool 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 okay i'm gonna say something that you might not like but this is one of those shows that I like because, okay, good, good thing about it. Mystery and cliffhangers at the end of every episode. And that's cool. Now, at the same time, the thing about it is that I found that the acting at times wasn't amazing. <laughs> but but it, it, still, it, still, it still got me because of those teenage mystery shows. It's really cool. So if you haven't seen it, watch it. You can... You can um, you can binge watch two seasons in the space of a weekend. That's what I did. Yeah. So I encourage I you to do I think the story 
behind it is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The story is great. I love I love all the pieces of it. I would agree. There's a couple actors in there that are a little rough, but um, I just just side note. I think I said this last time. You can see clearly right there. It is 14 and up, so don't try to watch it with your 10 year old. It's a little more intense than that. Yeah. And your second pick. That is not yours, is it? Do I yes, that is. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it's very random as well. So, okay, like a little backstory. I'll be quick about it. I talk a lot, as you may have noticed. Um, my, uh, okay, my girlfriend is Indonesian and she she watches a lot of like Korean drama. This obviously isn't Korean drama. This is an American TV show, but she watches a lot of K-drama. I got really into K-drama and then I just got really into Korean culture, I guess, uh, through that. And then Kim's Convenience is freaking hilarious. Like if you haven't watched it, it is hilarious. It is so funny. And it's one of those shows that you can watch without, you, you've missed five, six episodes, and then you watch the next one and you still get it. And it's funny. So it's an easy to watch show. Oh, nice. I I've love only it. watched one episode of it. I found it hilarious, but I should probably go back to it. Yeah, it's so funny. I have to say. Your third pick, I think. I don't know. It's almost a cheap pick. Oh, okay. So the Svelte thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know if we put it there. Uh, I'll just well, bring it out. You were talking about learning to code and why every understand why everyone loves spelt. So I dropped this in as like because yeah. we were talking about spelt a lot. As you should, we can never give too much promotion to spelt. So um, <laughs> yes, like yeah, learning spelt is definitely on my list of to dos. And I think I added to the list. I'll just mention it uh, even if we don't have the visual, just because if there are any other Harry Potter fans out there, like super excited, oh. there's. I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it because uh, it doesn't. I don't even know if there's an an official page yet it's not even out yet but um harry potter um hbo max there's this 20 year anniversary thing return to hogwarts i don't know if it's a movie i don't know if it's a season but it has all the actors it has daniel radcliffe you know um emma watson etc etc so if there are any harry potter fans out there i'm, I'm a massive fan very i'm very about excited harry about it i was looking yes, for a link and I don't think it's out yet. There is like a YouTube premiere. Like, yeah, thing. I'll drop yeah. that. I'll drop that. In. <laughs> yeah, it's a little teaser or something, but like so excited. Can't contain myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Hello, Harry Potter too. Okay. I think, Brittany, your pick is a little on point for what we're talking about. It is. Yeah, it is the Vue.js documentary that we've been talking about a little bit that Stefan did. And I thought it was so well done. Um, Evan Yu is a great guy. I think Scott Talinsky's in it. It's just, it's a really good watch. Even if you don't like Vue.js, just go and watch to get a little feel for what documentaries are, what they're about. And it's really good. Oh, I saw Angular in there. You, maybe you should go watch it, Alex. Hey, hey. <laughs> I love all frameworks. <laughs> no, no framework bashing here. I just want to say really quickly, just because, uh, so... I know it, we've already mentioned it, but I just want to give credit to the person who made this documentary. So his name is Josiah, Josiah McGarvey. Uh, he's the videographer behind this documentary, the GraphQL documentary, the Elixir documentary, and the AmberJS documentary. I was lucky enough to be part of the team, but just want to kind of give credit to the, the real Absolutely. magician behind that project. For sure. Very Thank cool. you. Um, we'll have to grab a link afterwards. We'll put it in for him. Okay. Brittany. My next pick, Wheel of Time, is so good. It is a show on Amazon Prime Video, and it's just 
it has to be a book and I have to go find the book series. <laughs> I, I can't imagine this world being created without there being a book to base the show on. I think it's a massive series, actually. Yeah. So I need to go find it and binge read it. Someone said this. Sorry, go ahead. ahead, I believe what he was telling me, and this is uh, hopefully I got the right story here, but the author of that has so much content. I think he passed away and has like other people now trying to like continue creating the book based on things he left them. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's that's how much content there is. Interesting. Wow, that sounds like something. I did watch the first episode. It was like a lot to take in. I, it, I was happy was. he had read the book. He explained it to me. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, there's a lot of setup in that show. A lot of characters, and it's one of those shows. But it, I think it's going to be really good as it goes on. How far are you through it? I think. I mean, current. So, what is that? We haven't done the season finale yet. That's a good question. I don't know. Five or six episodes in. Yeah, it looks like five fish. Yeah. Awesome. You need to watch that. It's really good. So I um on the on the train of kind of watching things, I just uh, made it through all of Lost in Space, um, latest season. I had watched the first two. I was super excited for this one to start. And I think it lived up to everything I was hoping for. Um, the ending is very fitting. So... Uh, huge props to this. I, I think TVPG is a great rating. Watch it with your kids. It's so cool to like talk about space and like, yeah, there's some sci-fi stuff in there, but it's, Do you think it's, it's okay really for kids. Yeah, it totally is. And it's interesting. It's I wonder if our kids would like it with TV, us. We started TV. it and then put it away because we have a week now till Christmas where my husband's off, so we can binge watch it this week. So maybe we'll get the kids involved and see if they like it. Yeah, it's it's a really good series. I've liked it so far. I hope they continue. I, I haven't read anything. Maybe they are. I saw this pop through, and so I, I thought I'd throw it out here um, on Twitter. I, I think did you steal Brittany, my link off maybe, Twitter? I, I think you posted it. <laughs> I did. It's mine now. Um, so this icon set, how many are there? A hundred thousand icons. There's a lot of free icons. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. So... It's it's pretty amazing. If you're ever looking for an icon set, I guarantee you could find it. And the great part, if you click right here, it's got SVG already yes. ready to go, which is it, it's very reminiscent of like awesome font awesome. Was that who did the icons like yeah, a few years ago? Yeah. And I feel like it still exists, but it's less like I don't know. I feel like it you have to pay for a lot. Yeah. of it now but this is all free yeah they were trying to make it so commercialized which is great mm-hmm. i mean they, yeah it is but we're able to create a lot of things but this is unbelievable <laughs> yeah. um it, it kind of lines up with uh, react icons too i don't know if you've ever seen those but oh, wrong link anyways <laughs> um great setup seven it was such a pleasure having you on. I can't wait to see more of your documentaries. Um, I'll have to talk to you offline for, for an idea for one. And uh, yeah. I can't wait for Svelte documentary to come out. Brittany's probably going to have to have like a watch party or something. Oh, yeah. He said live premiere. So, <laughs> hey, we're going to, don't worry. I'm going to be coming at you with like live premiere suggestions left and right, uh, probably in real life ones because that's what I'm hoping. Then, things will be better. You know? Yeah. That's. Fingers Bring crossed that we get through this and we can be out of lockdown by May. Does that mean Hope we have so. to fly to Germany or what, where are we doing? Uh, probably the probably the, the the premiere would probably be in Amsterdam. 
so it would probably be in the Netherlands. But um, oh. you know, there's 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 time to go, and either I'll find a way where I can like fly people in, um, if that's not possible, um, organize like a bunch of watch parties in different parts of the world. That'd be awesome. But like, yeah, awesome. definitely excited for that to go out. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you both of you. Uh, thank you for letting me talk about like something which is, I, I think, like a bit a bit weird. But no. uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't it think it's weird at all. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks Thank so much, you so for, coming much for coming. Like, yeah, we love that different perspective just to get kind of the other side. So for sure. Cool. All right. All right. Thank you so Thanks much. Take care. See you later. Thank you.